0: you read ahead, you you know that today is, is an exciting message today, right? Let's jump right into it. In First Peter chapter four verse one, it says, "Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God." for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the, w- the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Amen. So today we're talking about suffering. This whole, the whole topic that Peter is addressing here is on the idea of, of, of suffering. And I know you guys are excited to talk about suffering. Next, next, week, next week, we're going to hear about uh, um, um, how to um, live in a world where, where you're constantly having evil done to you. So, you know, suffering and evil, um, you know, I kind of felt that you guys just wanted something dark and depressing. But, but you, all jokes aside, you know that the truth of the matter is, is that we live in a world, and in this world, there's suffering. They're suffering. See, in the same way that we can either draw heaven or hell to us in this life, you know, we can, we can pull hell up or bring heaven down in our life, the same thing is true um, when it comes to suffering. Everyone experiencing experiences suffering. Whether you're a Christian or a non Christian, you will experience suffering in your life. This is the result of living in a world that is in rebellion against God and His way of doing things. Jesus told us in this world, what? We would have tribulation. That's not a promise, that's an observation. Jesus isn't promising you tribulation. He's saying, in this fallen world, anybody can observe, you will have tribulation. But then he says, the good news is, the good news is that I have overcome the world. See, there's a way to endure tribulation, there's a way to endure suffering, that you can become an overcomer, despite what you're going going through. You know, it it says that uh, Peter in this gives us two choices when it comes to suffering. We will either treat it by acting out in the flesh and sin, like the Gentiles do. And why why do they do this? Because they're trying to ease, they're trying to medicate their suffering. But the problem is, is that when you act out in the flesh and you medicate in the flesh and become self-centered and selfish and try to medicate and and diminish the pain of suffering, we see that this only creates more suffering. It only creates more suffering. So we can either act out in the flesh and in sin when, when, when we suffer or like the writer of Hebrew tells us, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, the second choice we have when we suffer is to serve. The second choice we have is to serve in our suffering. We serve God and we use suffering that we experience to serve others. And this is all going to be laid out beautiful for you, as Peter does. So suffering in this life comes through many different channels. Why do we suffer? Well, the first one is, and there's probably more than this, but Adamic suffering. What is this? This is just general, not specific. It's the root of all suffering in the world. It's the fallen world that is <laughs> that's me that's the, the, far, the fallen world that is contaminated by sin, death and destruction, and it's not running into the, the way that God designed it to, to be. And then you have demonic suffering. This is actually spiritual attacks from the, the, the kingdom of darkness, from Satan, from his demonic powers. Um, We see this in the book of Job that it was actually Satan that caused Job to suffer. Then we have victim suffering. And victim suffering is when evil is done against you. When you're a victim. When someone does something wrong against you and you suffer for someone else's evil. And then there's collective suffering. Um, this, This is where you're a group of people. Maybe you're the persecuted church in China. Maybe you were the Jews during the Holocaust. You know, maybe you were African Americans during slavery. There were, where, where it's a whole group together is, is suffering. And then you have uh, persecution suffering. That mean, when you're persecuted for the cause of Christ, when you're, when you're persecuted for being a Christian, right? Paul was persecuted for his faith. It literally said that he had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger Satan that would come and buffet him and buffet him and buffet him. Everywhere he went, there was, there, was, there was either revival and then there's riots. Right? They rioted every time Paul came. Why? Because he was turning people away from false gods to the one true God. You have Stephen that was persecuted and put to death because he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the, and the list could go on and on and on. And then there's empathetic suffering. What is that? That's when someone that you care about is suffering and you enter into that suffering with them. You are experiencing what they are suffering because you are trying to understand and trying to heal and help them in their suffering. And then you have preventive suffering. This is the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. This is where you get to choose your suffering. You know, there's lots of things in life you get to choose, and, and your suffering's one of them. What do I mean by that? Well, you can choose to suffer and get up early in the morning, be responsible, go to work, submit to an employer, work eight hours a day or more, come home, and repeat and repeat and repeat. Well, that don't sound like much fun. That sounds like suffering. You're right. You can choose that suffering. Well, I don't want to choose that suffering. Okay, then you can have the other suffering for not choosing to suffer that way. You get to live in poverty. You get to wonder where your next meal is. You become undateable. Right? There's things I don't want to exercise. I'm choosing not to suffer this way. Maybe I, And then I, I need to choose another way. Well, I don't want to exercise. I don't want to suffer. Okay, well, they're suffering down the road then. Right? Trying to get in your pants. Right? You, so, you, know, you know it's a problem when you've got to take your pants off to get the stuff out of your pockets. Right? But, but <laughs> I'm not there yet, but... But well, we get to choose some of our suffering, and if you don't choose to suffer, suffering comes anyways. And then there's mysterious suffering. You know, it's it, it's an unknown cause. It just Murphy's Law. It, it it something just happened, and we and we don't know why it's happening. And then there's punishment suffering. We see this in in the in the Bible where you know like Herod, you know, he God punished Herod and he split open and worms came out. He died. Ananias and Sapphira, they were punished, right? For doing for doing something that God thought was was wrong and would would corrupt the, the, the church. Then you have consequential suffering. This is cause and effect. This is sowing and reaping. You did this, and now you're experiencing that. You acted like this towards your spouse, and now your spouse, you're reaping, sleeping on the couch. Right? That's suffering. And that comes from us sowing and reaping. Again, unfortunately, Scripture does not give us an option of whether we will suffer, but it does give us an option of how we will suffer. Will we suffer by in sinning, or will we suffer in serving? And that's what Peter's talking about in this, these passages of Scripture. So option number one, you can suffer and sin. When we suffer, we become selfish. When we, when we choose to sin in our suffering, we, we, we become selfish, we lose sight of the, and we lose sight of the suffering that we cause. I want you to think about this right now. Because when we suffer, we can become entitled. We can think all about our suffering and and what was done to us. But we forget the suffering that we have caused others. We forget the suffering that we have caused Jesus. We become self-centered. We, th- we become entitled. And in the midst of our suffering, we think that we have earned the right to sin. We have earned the right to be angry. We have earned the right to be mad. We have earned the right to, to hold drudges and be unforgiving, to act out in the flesh, to soothe our, our, our pain with, with the flesh. I know there are people here that have had tremendous suffering in their past. There are people here that are suffering in life and in experiences right now. And for some of us, suffering is on the horizon. It's inevitable. Not getting a lot of amens. or It is in these moments we need to decide... Will we live out of the flesh or will we live out of the Spirit? Will we live through the flesh and become self-centered? Or will we live out of the Spirit and consider God, others, and ourselves? God, others, and ourselves. We still consider ourselves, but we also consider God and we consider those that we cause to suffer around us. Have you ever experienced someone in your life that had something bad happen to them and you almost avoid them because they are going to make your life suffer? They take the hurt that they're experiencing and they put it on to anyone that's around them, causing more suffering. This is the culture that we live in. We live in this culture where people are experiencing a perceived victim of suffering and so they're causing everyone around them to suffer. You can't even enjoy a sporting event without now enduring suffering. Right? If we choose to live our suffering in the flesh, you will be selfish. Because of your suffering, you're going to multiply it by causing everyone around you to suffer. Suffering people can be so focused on their pain that they often overlook the pain that they are causing others. The flesh is very selfish, which leads to the flesh being very self-destructive. When people medicate their suffering through the flesh, it causes them to self-destruct. Again, this is what we are seeing in our culture. This is what we're seeing in our culture. Peter then gives us a checklist to see if we are self-destructing. So you can use any of these. So if you use any of these to ease your suffering, it's a good sign that you're in the flesh, you're self-medicating, and in the process of self-destructing. First thing he tells us is sensuality. Sensuality. Do you turn to... This is lack of restraint. When, when you're suffering, when you're experiencing pain, when you have stress, when, when, when there's emotional things happening, you have no restraint, and you turn to food. You turn to shopping. You, you, you turn to anger and rage. You, you can't control your tongue. And you lash out and you speak evil against others. And you, and you spread your, your suffering to everyone else. Then he talks about passion, which is these evil desires that, are, that dominate you in the midst of suffering. And these evil desires are just like gravity. They're always trying to pull you down unless you are constantly fighting against it. You, you constantly have to fight against evil desires in your flesh and in our culture and, and, and those temptations that come against you. Because as soon as you stop fighting against it, it's like gravity and it's going to take hold of you and it's going to bring you down. He talks about drunkenness. What are you prone to? To be addicted to. What's your your drug of choice to ease your suffering? To escape from the world. Right? This is talking about where you're suffering so you buy a fifth of liquor instead of going to work. You're trying to ease suffering. This is where you're taking a hit to ease your pain. This is self-soothing. It's using a substance whenever you are experiencing pain. Again, this can be food. This can be lots of different things. It's overindulgence. Drunkenness is overindulgence in in something. Why? Because you're trying to make yourself feel better. We live in a culture that is allowing people to self-destruct out of a perverted idea of love. We have entire cities that have decriminalized all drug use. Because of people suffering. How's that working? How, how is it working? I, I, we're trying to prevent people, people suffering by allowing them to self-destruct. You can see exactly how it's working. We have people that say that they, there should be no restraints on sex. Understand, encouraging sin is encouraging our culture, encouraging people to experience more suffering and more self-destruction. I mean, we see this happening right before our eyes. And then he talks about orgies. I don't think I need to explain that, right? I don't need to go into into that, right? You know what that is, and if you don't, don't Google it. Pastor Chad said to Google this, and no, I didn't. No, I didn't. And then you have drinking parties. He talks about he talks about drinking parties, and what this is 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 trying to fit into society. This is this is social sins. What social sins tempt you? This is to be in the in crowd, go along with the crowd, right? Be accepted. Why? Because you're trying not to, to to be persecuted. You're trying trying to avoid suffering. Because I'm accepted, right? He 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 he. and, and, and in this age that we live in now, with social media and selfies. It has taken on a whole new life. The whole point is to impress people with behaviors that are not healthy. Then he talks about debauchery. What gross things are you, found, uh, of, are you fond of? You know, Self-indulgence. Self-indul- Anything you do, especially when you experience hardship, stress, suffering, the things that you wouldn't do if Jesus was in the room with you. But he was in the room with you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. What do you mean? He was there. Yes, he was there. And he thought it was gross. So stop. And then he, then he and then it turns you into maligning, and and, and and which is people who do not that that, that people that enjoy. Causing other people to suffer, especially those that do not that participate in the flesh like they do. Those that are hurting so bad that they malign others, they're trying to cause them to suffer because they have a different way of dealing with suffering than they do. And that is through the Spirit. This is where you see persecution. I mean, can you see how people When they suffered, they tried to escape the suffering through selfishness. We tried to escape the suffering that we experience in this world through selfishness. By feeding the flesh. And when we feed the flesh, it leads to self-destruction. Peter says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. When you are suffering, you can think about yourself. Or you can think about Jesus. That's what Peter says. Seeing therefore. There's suffering, right? Think, of, Jesus suffered in the flesh. We have a God that suffered. Our God has suffered. Our God still suffers. And yet He serves in His suffering. Jesus served in His suffering. What this is saying is before you can see before we can see ourselves as victims you first need to confess that you are a villain. Jesus suffered for sins. So before we before we can talk about the suffering that we have endured, we have to realize that we are the villain in this in this story and we have caused Jesus and we've caused others to suffer. We live in a culture that likes to tell you all about the the suffering and the victimhood that they've experienced. Right? We live in a culture, that's all they talk about. They talk about suffering and I'm a victim and I'm a victim and I'm suffering. You know, it's great. Okay, let's talk about that suffering. But first, let's talk about the suffering that you have created. Well, I don't want to talk about that. Let's not just talk about the suffering you've endured, but the suffering that you have caused. Let's talk about all the suffering if we're going to talk about suffering. Let's talk about all the victims if we're going to talk about victims. No, but if you're in the flesh, it's all about me. It's self-centeredness, right? We like to confess everyone else's sins, right? I've never seen someone demonstrate against the sins that they have committed. What are you out here marching against? So well, I'm marching against. I've uh, committing adultery on my wife, beating my kids, stealing from my employer. We don't see people demonstrating against themselves, but we see everybody demonstrating against everybody else's sins against them. Right? We're all guilty. We're all guilty and in need of a savior. So if we're going to talk about suffering, we need to talk about all of it or none of it. If we're going to talk about all of it, let's talk about the suffering that we have caused Jesus. The one and only innocent one. The only true victim. The only one who has truly suffered unjustly. Our God, Jesus shed many tears our god was betrayed by his closest friends our god jesus had his reputation destroyed they called him a drunkard they called him a sinner they called him a bastard jesus was arrested jesus was beaten jesus was murdered. And He was the only one in word and in deed was completely innocent. When Jesus suffered, He suffered because of us. He suffered for our sins. He suffered for my sins. That means that I am a villain. I am a villain. Jesus died. He loved His enemies. (laughs) I am the villain and Jesus is the victim of my sin. He did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong, as I said, in word, deed, yet He suffers for me and Jesus suffers for you. Suffering caused Jesus to respond not in the flesh and to sin, but suffering caused Jesus to respond in the Spirit to serve humanity. In the same way, we must through the Spirit endeavor to serve like Jesus when we suffer. Suffering is expensive. Suffering is expensive. It costs you time. It costs you money. It costs you energy. It costs you your emotional being. It is so expensive to endure suffering. So don't waste it. Don't waste it on sin. Don't waste it on the flesh. Instead, invest it in serving. Invest it in serving. Find a way to, for your suffering to serve you. Find a way for the suffering to serve others. Find a way for your suffering to serve God. That's what Peter gives us an option to. Verse 7, he says, The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things are, are at hand. Uh, we see history in times of days, weeks, months, decades. God sees history in terms of events centered around His Son, Jesus Christ. The first and second coming. The first coming has already happened. So now we're in the second coming. Right? So the end is near. The end is near. We are in the final chapter of human history and we know that we're in. So therefore, therefore, He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. For the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to those one another, hospitality to one another without grumbling. So, the second option we have in the midst of suffering is to serve. To serve in the midst of our suffering. If you're going to choose the way of the Spirit, which is the way of the Savior, He says you're going to. You need these things. You're going to need to control your will. You're going to need self-control. You're going to need self-control in the midst of suffering. And that's part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Is this something our culture is lacking? Self-control. Yes, it's lacking very much. That's why they're self-destructing. People are fighting against authority. People are saying, we don't need as many cops We don't need a big army. We don't need all these things. Well, if there were self-control, guess what? We wouldn't need as many police officers. You wouldn't need as many police officers if people just had self-control. We wouldn't need as many prisons if people just had self-control. We wouldn't need as many rehab centers if people just had self-control. We wouldn't need as many abortion clinics if people just had self-control. The best governance should be self-control. And everyone has a reason for their lack of self-control. I have a reason why I'm this way. Because I'm a victim. Because I've suffered. And everybody has a reason for not having self-control. And this is the reason why we're self-destructing. This is the reason why we're self-destructing. Next thing Peter told us is we have to control our mind. We have Again, he talks about sober-mindedness. Sober-mindedness. Be sober-minded. Right? You, you are not to be controlled by your emotions. And part of the emotions that are trying to control you is the suffering that you've experienced. The pain that you have experienced. We are not to be controlled by our emotions. We're not, nor are we, are you to have your suffering to control you. But we're to have sober thoughts, be sober-minded. We have an epidemic of broken people controlled controlled by their emotions, with a lack of self-control. There's no sober-mindedness, and we wonder why everyone is depressed and they don't have any hope for the future. We have a whole generation. This generation right now does not believe that they will be better off than their parents. What kind of culture are we creating where they're living in the greatest country in history and they have no hope for the future? then he talks about our prayers. He talks about our soul. And when we suffer, praying is very important in the midst of suffering. Because prayer gives us a chance to verbal process with the only one that is safe to verbal process with. God's big enough, wise enough, and in control of His emotions enough or you can say anything to God. You can process what you're going through with God. Read the Psalms. The Psalms are filled with individuals that are verbally processing tragedies and things that are going on in their life and saying things and then having God respond back to them. Prayer is where we transfer the burden. Prayer is where you transfer the burden. Understand, if you, if you still feel a burden on you after you pray, you weren't praying. If you have a burden on you when you get done praying, you weren't praying. You were complaining. You know when prayer has been successful, when the burden has transferred to the one that is, can, is able to carry that burden. Then he talks about the heart. He, he says that we're supposed to love one another. We're supposed to show hospitality. Again, this is serving others in the midst of our pain. This is serving others in, 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 in the midst of our tragedies. That we don't have to like everybody, but we have the ability to love everybody. We have the ability to hope and, and want the best for everybody through the love of God. You can either get depressed Or you can choose to serve, be hospitable to others, and to love others. Then he talks about our tongue. He says, don't grumble. Don't grumble. Can you say the right thing with a sour attitude? A lot of times we do this with truth, don't we? We do this with truth. I always make you coffee in the morning. You never make coffee for me in the morning. I made you you breakfast. You never make me breakfast. Well, you don't need breakfast. It's speaking something that's true, but it's, it's, it's because of our suffering, we are grumbling in that truth. Right? You can say the right thing with a sour attitude. When we are suffering and we are grumbling, does God promise to deliver us? When we are suffering and you're grumbling, will God deliver you? Well, let's just look at the children of Israel. They were slaves. They were whipped. Their children were taken from them and killed. There was no hope. There was no future for them. They get out in the wilderness... And they gotta eat manna for a couple weeks. And pretty soon, oh, I want to go back to Egypt. How wonderful it was in Egypt. Around the mountain to go. Around the mountain to go. God will not deliver you in the midst of grumbling. God is not saying that life is not hard. But what he's saying is that grumbling will not help. Grumbling does not help. Then he says that love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers it, but doesn't cover up it. There's a difference. Covering it is like a band-aid to heal. Covering up is ignoring it like it never existed. It covers the sinner. Not the sin. Love covers so it can be the sinner can be healed. We don't cover up evil. we cover up the sinner to heal them, with love. Covering the sinner is not about secrecy. What I mean is, what we're talking about here is privacy there's a difference between privacy and trying to keep something from everyone, right? as we help someone to heal, we don't need everyone to get involved. Right? What happens if the hospital was that way? You, you go to the waiting room, and, they, and you sit there for a little bit, and everybody's the waiting room's filled, and they come out, and they ask you to change into the, to this gown in front of everybody. What? Out here in front of everybody? Well, we think that you have hemorrhoids, and we, we want to take a look. And, and if we could just have you do this in front of everybody and everybody's like in front of us all and you know no they take you into a room maybe they bring in a spouse maybe if there's kids they bring in parents they bring in people that are close and are there that are going to be with you in in the healing process right when we have when we have people that are Are suffering because of sin that they've committed in their life, the church has to come along and cover the sinner with the love of God and cause them to be healed and redeemed through the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't cause more pain and more suffering in their life by making them a public spectacle. Love covers the sinner. Peter then concludes that we need one another. Thank God for the body of Christ in the midst of suffering, right? In 1 Peter 4, chapter 10, he says, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another. You know, God has given us all gifts in the body of Christ. And the gift isn't for you, it's for someone else. And if you're sitting here thinking, well, I don't have a gift, guess what? You're believing a lie, you do. You are a gift to the body of Christ. Lots of pastors want people to come to church to make themselves feel good. I want you to come to church because you are a gift to the body of Christ and we need you. We need you. Do you understand that? If you're sitting here thinking, well, they don't need me, you're believing a lie. Scripture says that each of you have received a gift from God And now you get to serve one another with the gift that you are from God. As good stewards. Hmm, stewards. That's interesting. As good stewards of God's varied grace. That means we've been given something. We've been given something, right? And we're stewarding something. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There's two big points I want to pull out here: is this idea of owner and steward, owner and steward, an owner. Is the person who legally possesses something. A steward is a person who the owner entrusts the management of, a, of their legal possession. You understand that? Most people don't understand this. In your life, your life, your very life, you, who's the owner? who's the owner God God's the owner but no one lives this way no one believes this no one believes this hardly anyone believes this hardly anyone acts like this and just just so you understand what this means your bank your money that you have in the bank right the money that you have in your account in the bank whose money is it It's yours, right? Right? Your money in the bank. I'm sorry, I'm making you think. But it's yours. So if you go and you look at your bank account and all of a sudden there was $10,000 in there and now there's only $100, are you going to say, well, I guess the bank just wanted to use my money? It's the bank's money after all. And you, no, you call him up. What happened? Well, Frank, you know, you know Frank, the teller, yeah, he wanted to go on vacation. So he just used that and he had this wonderful around-the-world vacation. He, he, it was so much fun. He, it, was so, it, was so, it was so wonderful. He came back and he was so rested up and had all these wonderful stories. What would you say? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You'd be on the phone with the police. Right? Because Frank, the bank, was not the owner of the money. They were storing it for you. Right? Let's say you dropped off your car to the to the mechanic and, and, you, and you call up and, and you say, I just checking on my car. How's it doing? Oh, it's fixed. It's it's doing wonderful. It's doing wonderful. Right now, you know, Jim, he's 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 heading out to Vegas in it right now. What? What? No, you you, you wouldn't be okay with somebody just using your car, because you're the owner, not stewarding it the way that you intended them to steward it. Right? When the steward, think about this, when the steward does not do what the owner asks, it's a crime. It's a criminal offense. And we're all criminals. This is really the reason why most people don't become Christians. Everyone likes the idea of having their sins forgiven. But they can't stand the idea of not being the owner, the Lord of their own life. Of submitting to God. See, Jesus is both Savior and Lord. Lord. Your money is God's money. How much money am I supposed to give? How much money does God want me to give? How much of my money does God want me to give? It's not your money. It's God's money. And I got news for you. Money does not come into the kingdom of God when you give it to a religious organization. You are kings and priests. Money comes in the King of God when it comes into your possession. How are you stewarding God's money? Kingdom finances. Your job. It's not your job. It's God's job. Your family. It's not, God's fa- it's not your family. It's God's family. How are you doing stewarding His family? Your business. It's not your business. It's God's business. Your ministry. It's not your ministry. It's God's ministry. Your suffering. It is not your suffering. It's God's suffering. So serve Him in it. See, there's four different types of people. There's the godless. The godless says, I am the owner and the steward of my life. Then you have the selfish Christian. The selfish Christian says, I am the owner and God is the steward of my life. So that's where you get this idea of, if I pray, if I, if I just say the ma- these, this ma- these magic words, then a gen- God jumps out like a genie and gives me all my desires. There's people that act like that. They get mad at God when God doesn't act the way that they want him to. God is there to serve you. This is what these people think. We're not there to serve God. And then you have the lazy Christians. The lazy Christians is where God is the owner and God and the steward of my life. Well, if God's going to do it, if, if it's going to happen, God's going to have to do it. If I'm going to be blessed, I don't need to go to work. God's just either going to bless me or He's not going to bless me. Right? My wife, my family, my, my marriage, it's only going to be happy if God wants it to be happy. If it falls apart, it's God's fault that it falls apart. And then you have a godly Christian. A godly Christian is where God is the owner and I am the steward of my life. God owns me and I am stewarding everything that He has given me understanding that He is the owner and He has a certain way that He wants things to be done. God does not, He talks about glory. God does not exist to give you glory. We exist to give God glory. And this should raise some questions. Lord, what do You want me to do with my time? Because it's God's time. Lord, what do You want me to do with my family? Because it's Your family, Lord. Lord, what do You want me to do with this money? Because it's Your money. Jesus, what do You want me to do with my business? Because God, this is Your business. Jesus, what do You want me to do with my ministry? Because with this, with this ministry because God, this is ultimately Your ministry. Lord, what do You want me to do with my hobbies? Because these desires and these things that You've given me are ultimately Yours. Lord, what do You want me to do with this temple? What do You want me to do with my body? Because it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to You. And I need to steward my body. Lord, I got these abilities. I got these abilities. I can hit a ball. I can put a score score a shot. I can do mathematics and quantum physics. Lord, I I have this way of seeing things and inventing. Lord, I have this ability to love and encourage others. Lord, I have this ability to speak and and cause people to be motivated and changed. Lord, these aren't my abilities. These are abilities that you've given me. How do you want me to use them? When you suffer, and then you choose to sin, you put yourself in the place of ownership, and you become in control. When you suffer and you choose to serve in the Spirit, you put yourself in the place as a steward and God gets to be in control. And the only one that is able to change our mourning into gladness, to bring light out of the darkness, to bring healing and redemption to our souls, is God Almighty. There is no one better to be in control in the midst of suffering. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Caris New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.carisntc.org and remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.